Amen. Well, we're continuing this morning on our series in Colossians. And this is actually the second part of a, of a message I gave two weeks ago talking about the spitting image of health. You can turn to Colossians 3. And as you do so, I have a question for you. By the way, turn in your bulletins and you'll find the sermon notes. It's very important that you use these today. Uh, Most of what is on the screen is not in your notes, so feel free to write some things down around that. The reason that we've done this is because kind of making this a little bit like a doctor's visit, that that we really expect there to be some evaluation today, uh, to really utilize the instructions that are given to us rather than just listen to them. And some of you heard myself a facing documentary on my attitude towards doctors and healthcare. And uh, we won't spare you those gory details again today. This morning, as we move through Colossians 3, my encouragement to you is to ask a very simple question. That question is this Will the church survive? What's coming? Will the church survive what's coming? We had an elder meeting Thursday night. We were talking about the cost of being a disciple. We looked at two passages, one from Matthew, one from Luke, where Jesus himself states that unless you're willing to forego everything, you cannot. He doesn't say you probably won't. Chances are, he says emphatically, you cannot be my disciple. We don't preach that. We preach another gospel. We preach the gospel that says, hey, if you're comfortable with it, hopefully, maybe, you'll pursue this. Or you'll look for that. Or you'll enjoy this. Or look at the great opportunities that God brings to you. Those are all true things. But Jesus said that there's a cost. And there's a reason why He says that. Because in our mind and in our hearts, we gravitate towards that which is really not good for us. Is anybody here not selfish? Raise your hand. Good, then I don't have to preach about lying either. That's good. That's great. So we have this natural propensity when it comes to self. And we'll always gravitate there. And so the first part of Colossians 3 speaks to that. That Paul recognizes those natural things that we will struggle with. And he says, look, you've got to put those things off. You've got to get rid of them. You've got to do some serious surgery. Right? But now what do you do if you put those things off? If you truly want that, that glorious life that Christ has for you, if you're following Him, what does that look like? And so we started last week with this passage, with this section where he starts out by saying, so put on. So put on. And we talked about multiple aspects of this putting on. Right? So put on then. Now let me just compliment you. You all look pretty good today. It's obvious that you made the very rational and wise decision to wear clothes here. I appreciate that. 
You're doing well so far with your wise decisions today. Now, we all laugh because that just seems ludicrous, doesn't it? Why would I not put on my clothes? But see, in my ESV, it says put on. Some of your translations actually say what? Clothe yourself. Paul uses some very specific language here. Some of you may try to practice a life of efficiency where you just wear the same thing you wore yesterday to bed and you just kind of roll out of bed, go to the sink, wet this stuff down, throw some stuff here and here, spray something, and then you just keep going in the same clothes every day. How many of us do that? No, but hopefully nobody. (laughs) There are those in junior high ministry that may experience that challenge. Or or college ministry, who knows. But that would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? Yet spiritually, I think this is the model that we, we follow. Hey man, I heard the message. I did it. I got it. I bought in. I made that commitment like 14 Easter's ago. Right? That's kind of the culture here. I made that decision. I'm good. I'm banking it. All the way to the pearlies. No, Paul says what? You got to put these things on. You got to clothe yourself. How many times do you clothe yourself in a week? Over and over. And by the way, let's not even get into what happens when you're when y'all are going out. Right? The other day, I had on a coat, and I looked at it, and I, no, that doesn't work. I put on another coat, and I, no, that doesn't work. And then I changed my shoes, and I looked at my wife, and I said, I've become you. <laughs> I just wasn't satisfied with the ensembles I was coming up with. How come we don't look at our spiritual life that way? You see, Paul's saying there's something different here to be calculated. That every day, just like you put on your clothes, we have to make this effort. If we truly want to experience that freshness and uniqueness of that beautiful relationship with Jesus Christ and rise above all the gook and all the junk that's back there at the beginning of this chapter, we have to put it on. That means making calculated choices every day. Day. So let's look at what this is truly in essence going to be like. So I wanted to emphasize this put on, and you see the first part of the passage that we covered last week. Let's get to the second part today. You can look in your scriptures um, on your own, and uh, for those of you that don't have a Bible, it's on the screen, and we will, uh, let's look through it. Starting in verse 13, we'll go all the way through, uh, seven, or sorry, 14, and we'll go all, all the way through 17. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, 
giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So this morning as we continue on, I think this should be your first set of, of, of uh, notes in the sermon notes. And I'm going to come to you with kind of a, 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 of a, like a Kaiser holistic health plan, right? Peace, love, and granola, baby. Right? Peace, love, and granola. Let's, let's just get wholesome. Let's go all whole foods. Let's run that 5K. Let's, you know, let's get our bodies cleansed. Right? How many of you are contemplating doing a cleanse? If, is this too personal? Maybe it is. But let me just encourage you, if, other than for medical reasons, just don't waste your time. Don't. Paul gives us a beautiful prescription for spiritual health. Number one, love. Number one is love. And this is a sacrificial love. Let me give you an idea of what this looks like. Because I think we've distorted the idea of love. That we haven't really grasped what love truly looks like. We can look to the cross and we can see what love looks like. We can feel and experience true love from others around us when it's demonstrated in this way. See if this is indicative of your examination when it comes to love. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast, is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And that kind of love never ends. This love listed is a godly love. It's called agape love. And really what what, what separates out agape love from phileo or brotherly love or eros, erotic love, um, or, or other kinds or forms of love is one word, and that is sacrifice. If you want to be healthy, you have to stop putting really bad things into you. And you have to start making daily choices to be healthy. The same thing applies spiritually. So if we start with this concept that Paul starts with, love, let's start with the true essence of what love is. Let's not go generic, shall we? What if you had a prescription plan that let you get like straight up the best of the best, straight from Pfizer, killer medications, versus you could get something off of the black web, okay, with Bitcoin that is in some foreign language on the pillbox, right? How many of you, come on, we know what we would, some of you, some of us would want the adventure, Okay. Love. It starts with love, Paul says. Secondly, peace. Right on. I love peace. I love a piece of pie. I love a piece of steak. No, wrong piece. Peace. He says one of the key ingredients to being healthy spiritually that you have to put on is peace. Whoa, Paul, you lost me here. How does that work? I don't understand. See, peace is a result of all these other people making sure that they're copacetic with me. Right? That's how peace works. As long as you're not causing conflict in my life, we are are at peace. You see, this is one of the biggest challenges that we'll ever face, is having peace. Because peace requires much. And not just temporary peace, but to do what Paul says 
what Christ is ultimately saying, to let peace rule? Wow, that has to be a priority. That has to be a priority. It was amazing, and I'm going to keep, if you stick around here for a while, you're going to see how my illustrations just keep going downhill. You're saying, how can they get any lower, Pastor? No, but, but just talking personally, you know, I, I have to take, I shared with you just my, my medical history, a little bit of my medical history, that my blood pressure isn't so great. You know, you can't eat Taco Bell, Del Taco, and Twinkies for 30 years and, and have stellar blood pressure. You can have interstellar blood pressure, but not stellar blood pressure. So I bought myself a machine this past Christmas. That was the gift that's going to keep giving. And, uh, and so I took a measurement. I talked last week about measuring, constantly measuring, right, and recording. I took a measurement a couple days after I forgot to take my blood pressure medication. I can't add that high. All right? Not good. Then I went and I took my blood pressure medication and everything was what? Well, it wasn't okay. Thank you. I appreciate your optimism. But uh, it was much better. Folks, it's the same thing. That if we want peace to rule in our life, we have got to work every day at putting those things aside that seek to destroy us and putting on these things, making every effort to go down this road. He also says thankfulness. Now, we're going to hit thankfulness as a main point. But let me help you understand that the thankfulness that he's speaking to here is a continual expression of gratitude. And we'll hold on to that for a moment and, and, and we'll, we'll move into the next section. This is called church selfie. And you're thinking, what? What was that? Remember last week during Easter, I, I kind of videoed all of you guys and you looked so great and I've got that chronicled and we'll see where that shows up on the web at some point in time. You all have to sign releases. But a church se- selfie... In actuality, it's not so much about that. A few weeks ago, we had as part of the sermon notes these little surveys. It was a church survey that that I acquired out of a book that I'm reading right now on strategic planning for the 21st century church. And it was fascinating, the responses that we received as to your perception of the health of our church. Paul's question to you today is simply this. How do you get healthy? You see, there is much coming. There is great suffering coming. There is some of it knocking on the door right now. How will the Christian church, how will God's people respond to this suffering? I don't know in America. I can look around the world and I can see how Christ's church has responded because they put on daily these things. Love, peace, thankfulness. They believe in this prescription. It helps them thrive, not just survive in the midst of horrific retribution. I forget the country... I don't want to slander somebody, but it is a Middle Eastern country. Um, Last Easter, they crucified a priest. That's just one story. Friends, the attack on those that name Christ as their Lord and Savior is very real. And unless we're spiritually healthy, we will not survive as the church. 
You don't turn around one day and try to run a mile when you haven't run for weeks, months, years. I took my daughter over to the gym this past week, kind of coached her on some volleyball stuff, and we did some kind of fun, unique things. And then we went to the big gym, and I decided to do back and forth with her. And after about six back and forths, my stomach wanted to go up and down. And my muscles didn't go back and forth anymore. They just stayed in a cramped position continually. You see why? Because I hadn't done any exercise for a very long time. I was in no shape. And pretty soon, my 14-year-old daughter was outrunning me. As a matter of fact, in the span of two strides, she was outrunning me. That was a salient moment I will never forget. But spiritually, I think we're out of shape. And this is important. So he gives us a, a breakdown here out of verse 16. And let me, let me go back and read verse 16. It says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Now he starts to break this down and say specifics. These are specifics that you can measure your spiritual health with. That when the difficulties come, when the challenges come, how will you thrive and not just survive? How personally will I rise above the challenges and difficulties that every day thrusts at me to tear me down? He says this, this is what a healthy church looks like. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He gives us some instruction. It's kind of interesting. It's a lot like a guy that went to the doctor's. And uh, he says to his doctor, hey, it's been a month since my last visit, and I'm not any better. And the doctor replies back to him, well, did you do what I told you to do? And the patient responded, I sure did. The bottle said, keep closed tightly. (laughs) Now, thank you for those gratuitous laughs. But spiritually, sometimes I think we keep our Bibles kept tightly. And yet, what is he saying? He's saying the Word of God, we are to, and this is a picture of you and I, not just myself, but you and I, that the Word of God is supposed to proceed from us. Let me give you a little history. that The church at that time didn't really have what we have as the Bible. They had the Old Testament. And Paul affirmed and Peter affirmed the Old Testament, so they would refer back to it. But there was a new thing in town. It was called the Gospel. So much of what they were relying on was oral uh, uh, teaching that was passed from witness to witness to witness. And then Paul's letters and Peter's letters started to circulate through for encouragement. So what would happen is that they would take these principles from Scripture, the life of Christ... And they would speak to one another about it. Continually putting on the message of Christ. What was the message of Christ? It's the Gospel. That is one beautiful way to measure the health of a church. How often does your church herald the Gospel of Jesus Christ? How often do we speak in terms of the Gospel of Jesus Christ? When we're in crisis in our own lives, in our relationships, in our marriages, in our work situation, are we relying on the gospel of Jesus Christ to inform us, encourage us, heal us? 
So what was the next step that Paul gives them? He says, so you should be teaching and admonishing one another. Whoa, wait a minute. Pastor, I'm not stepping up on that stage. No, you, I'm not going to let you. Not without some training. I'm the only one that gets to stand on this stage with zero training. Okay, let's just get that straight. No. Here's the beautiful thing is that the church for centuries, and there's no, there's no avoiding the subject, the Catholic church held all the cards. They held the monopoly on the Scriptures. Because why? Because people were uneducated. They couldn't read. By doing that, the power was given to them. But here's what's interesting is that the Gospel was what? Was it in a written form at this time of the church when Paul wrote? No, it was in an oral form. And so the people, the church, the believers would speak truth to one another to encourage constantly. Not just encourage, but they would do so to admonish. Now here's another part that we don't... It's a 21st century church versus the 2nd or 1st century church. It's a little different here. We don't want to admonish anymore because the word admonish is different than the word rebuke. Rebuke is just a flat out, you've got to get your life together now because you're in danger of, of God getting His point across real quick. Admonishing is different. Admonishing is taking the principles of Scripture and giving a teaching for benefit. And it can also border on what would be a warning, right? So I'm admonishing you even right now, right? That unless we daily put on these things, that we will then gravitate back towards wearing the same old clothes, going to bed and them getting up, and and pretty much we start stinking spiritually. That's, That's an admonishment. Folks, that's for us to do. Now, here's what we hear all the time. We're not to judge. Oh, pastor, what are you going to do here? What are you going to do? Yes, we have to be very careful about being judgmental. But brothers and sisters, just like a parent to their child, and their child is about to make a crucial mistake, could you imagine the parent saying, I just don't want to come across judgmental. So go ahead. Here's Susie of five years old. You drive the car. We wouldn't do that. So why do we do that spiritually all the time? I think the challenge in that is because we don't want to be judged. Look, the reality is, working together as a team, we drive each other to be holy. This is the essence of what I want you to take away today. Remember how he starts out. He says, put on, therefore, brothers, sisters, as God's chosen people, called to be what? Holy. This is the essence of this entire section that Paul's trying to get across. Brothers and sisters, I know myself, and unless you or some other people are admonishing me towards holy living, I have a propensity to be selfish. Do you? And pretty soon, I'm going to forget those things that are going to add to my life to keep me moving in the right direction. So here's the fantastic thing. How did the first century church, let's check, let's check their health, how did they do this? How did they work with the gospel? How did they teach and admonish? They would actually take those concepts, they would take those teachings, they would take those things 
that they would hear about who Christ is and who Christ was, and they would put them into song. And that those songs were used as mechanisms to remember and commit to memory and to encourage through unity these principles and precepts for spiritual health. It was very encouraging to me today. I I took a stance in the back of the room and I listened, but I have to admit I also watched you sing. And it is my privilege to tell you I watched you sing. You sang. Great job. And we did a hymn and we did a spiritual song and we talked not so much through psalms, but we had Scripture intermixed. Right? Brothers and sisters, I, I, I looked at some video from church services on Easter this past week. I don't think it was a coincidence. The loudest singers in the room were the ones on the stage. And in some instances, as far as what I saw with a, someone with their camera phone, the only singers in that building were on the stage. That's a lifeless church. Why do we sing on Sundays? We do so to come together in a powerful way to encourage and to get spiritual health and to come together in unity to sing about these things of Jesus Christ and of God. Music is a mechanism to help us communicate and admonish and teach one another. So they use wisdom, psalms, spiritual songs. These are all good, vital signs. And I think this morning, there's some good health in here today when it came to our singing and to wisdom. Then he talks about thankfulness, expressing gratitude towards God through acts of of grace, reciprocation. Here's the fascinating thing. I want you to go back and I want you to look at this real quickly. And then we'll be finishing up. He says... Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, he says thanks, and that's why we're going to make it the next major point here to close with. He says thanks three times in two verses. I don't know of another passage or another section in Scripture where that ever happens. There is something powerful to thanks and thanksgiving. But this particular usage of this word, does anybody have in your scriptures, in your translation, a different word other than thankfulness? This word comes from the same Greek root that grace does. Alright? It comes from the same root that the word for the grace of God comes from. Think about what grace is, right? It's receiving an overwhelming gift that we never deserve. What's our response? And so there's something deeper here when he talks about giving thankfulness to God. It is a reciprocation, recognizing. How can we be thankful if we don't recognize the great things around us? That understanding how God gives and gives and gives to us, whether we deserve that or not, that if we just were to focus on it, there would be a reciprocation because of that grace of praise and glory back to Him. Can I just tell you, you had a bad day, you didn't focus on being thankful. You want the ultimate elixir to get spiritually healthy. Love, peace, and granola. No, not granola. 
Love, peace, and thankfulness. And let's finish with this concept of thankfulness, my friends, because it is powerful. It is powerful. It reminds me of another story about um, this couple. They're elderly, and, and they were going to the doctor, and the gal's name is Brenda, and, and she makes an appointment to go see her doctor because she's worried about her husband's bad temper. And so the doctor says, so what's the problem? And Brenda says, Doctor, I don't know what to do. Every day my husband, Jimmy, seems to lose his temper for no reason and it's beginning to scare me. So the doctor gives her a cure, right? We're talking about thankfulness being a cure for certain things. Doctor gives her a cure. Says, grab a cup of water and just start swishing it around in your mouth. And she thinks that's the most bizarre cure I, I could possibly imagine. But she does it. She comes back a week later and she says, Doctor, That was a brilliant idea. Every time my husband started to lose it, I swished with water. I swished and swished and he calmed right down. How does a glass of water do that? This is what Dr. Thomas said. The water itself does nothing. It's keeping your mouth shut that does the trick. (laughs) I was told after Jim Jessup visited, I needed to ratchet up my jokes a little bit. So that's on him. The elixir of thankfulness. Look, thankfulness gives us what? The power to instantly change. Let's look at the Scripture real briefly in closing. And and I have listed 15 through 17, but we've heard 15 and 16. Let's look at 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving what? Thanks to God the Father through Him. Three times in two verses, Paul says that's how important this concept is. You want to be spiritually healthy. Take the elixir of thankfulness. Integrate that. Put it on every day. When you put on your shoes, find some article that when you put it on, that reminds you to think about what you can be thankful for. There's only so much room up there, folks. Some of us have more than others. Some of us have less than others. But there's only so much room. And if we fill our minds, if we put on these things of love and peace and thankfulness, there's a whole lot less room for those things that want to destroy us. Amen? So, the power to instantly change. I can tell you by personal conviction. Multiple times in my life, there have been, there have been moments that want to destroy me. And I could get absorbed in them. I could get completely piled down with them. And either somebody, or just reading Scripture, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit reminding me of this. But there was an instantaneous change of attitude and joy. Instantaneous. I've not found a pill that does that. Not a good one anyway. An instantaneous change. That's how powerful thankfulness is. It is a key component in the practice of putting on holiness. If we desire to be holy as a church because this is what God desires for us, this is instrumental. 
This is something we have to practice daily. So let me encourage you. You go to put on your shoes every day. I want you to think of five things to be thankful for. And then let your mind float on that throughout the day. Every time you start to get burdened, every time you start to get worn down, you go to being thankful. Can I advise you, start with what God has given you. That helps you get a a, a beautiful picture of who God is. Right? Lastly, the process of healing through healthy thinking. Have you ever gotten yourself so worked up over a situation between yourself and someone else that when you got to the end of it, you were so far off from what actually happened? And there was so much anger and bitterness that had spawned up inside of you. That's how I found myself when I was reflecting on the Celtics the other night. I had so much anger. It wasn't healthy. Even the dog ran away. Folks, if we want to be spiritually healthy, what do we have to do? If we want healing from those things that seek to destroy us, integrate love, peace, and thankfulness. Open the, open the pillbox. Read the right instructions. In closing, we have a statement out of 1 Peter 4, 12-17. This is fascinating. What do you remember Peter for? Think about it quick. Don't overthink it. Just say it. What do you remember Peter for? Right? Denied Jesus three times. Woohoo! That's leadership material. Right? How many of you would have picked Jesus to be the rock of the church at that point? What did I say? It's a trick question. Sunday school answer. How many of you would have picked Peter? Peter Piper picked. Um, how many of you would have picked Peter to be the head of the church at that point? None of us. But Jesus did. Why? Because of the power of healing. Because of the power of holiness. And so how did Peter finish up? This is how Peter finished up. By encouraging others in the midst of suffering. Hypocrite. No. Because the rest of Peter's years of service were done through suffering. He knew what it meant to suffer. And the people of the time knew it. Because he was living a holy and healthy life spiritually. That he could say these things. By the way, you notice the words that I brought out. This is a passage on suffering. And what does he say? Rejoice, rejoice, glorify. All part of extemporaneously saying things that are positive about who God is. But I want you to focus on the last verse here. We started this sermon by asking how will the church survive the impending persecution that's coming. I think Peter's got a great approach to it. It comes right out of what Paul's talking about. He says, therefore let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Oswald Chambers says this, and I think it's in your notes. The destined end of man is not happiness nor health, but holiness. That should be God's. (laughs) It's like Sanskrit, okay? God's one aim is the production of saints. 
He is not an eternal blessing machine for men. He did not come to save men out of pity. He came to save men because He had created them to be what? Holy. Are we spiritually healthy? Let me close today and encourage you. Put on love. Godly love. Let peace rule your hearts. And practice thankfulness. When we do these things like we clothe ourselves every day, we will be spiritually healthy. Amen? Amen. This morning as I close, let me just encourage you again. Part of our act of worship is through giving. Giving of resources, giving of time, giving in worship. And as we do so, we see God's blessing go out to people in helping them heal and helping them come into a, a holy state of being. I want to say thank you to those that have built that discipline into their life. Because I believe it is an act of worship. The act of giving through our resources, through our finances. This morning, if you have brought a gift as you're leaving today, it goes in the box on the left. Let me pray over that now and dismiss you. Lord, there is a great need for the church to heal. There's a great need for the church to be about holiness rather than competitiveness or social and cultural relevance. And as, as we take our church selfie today, Father, as we write down in the, in the notes upon examination, I need to this, 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 or this. Let Your Spirit show us those areas that we need to increase and let us open up the pill bottles, so to speak, the Scriptures, prayer, reliance upon the Holy Spirit so that we may be healthy spiritually by being holy. Thank You for not leaving us to ourselves. Use this Word this morning. Encourage and lift us up. Amen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Go in peace.